0: We're back on the the uh, precept bus, so we're <laughs> and you'll notice we have a lovely golden colored uh, tablecloth on a table, and it's got uh, the books that we recommend. If you uh, you may have some books that you like as your own kind of personal favorites, it's always good to tell us about them. But we have four books that we recommend when people take the precepts. It's kind of a it's good as a, a library to put in your library or to start a library. but there are also books that uh, that we all find that we enjoy going back to them periodically. There's one, uh, what the Buddha taught that's got a lot of it's written by a more academic uh, person. So it's got a lot of Pali and a lot of references scattered through it. So it's a little slower reading, but it's really a good, Summary of all of what the Buddha did in such a small book about his teachings. Uh, But the other, all the other three are not, you can read two of them without being disturbed by all the Pali kind of interrupting your chain of thoughts. So, mindfulness in plain English is very, uh, it seems very simple, but it's well written and it's very, it's very well done and it's a classic. Uh, and uh, the mindfulness survival kit is one that's uh, put out. That's a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, and so it's got his beautiful, almost poetic language. But the way he talks about the precepts is really uh, expanding. Just some beautiful. Uh, the way he talks about things, and so it. We've we really have all decided that once we've read it that it really is appropriate for a good book for any buddhist in whatever tr- tradition you're in because it, he really explains things in a different way and the, the uh, last one is buddhism plain and simple and that's been that was recommended by someone here in, the, in this community several years ago and it's it's become a favorite and it's you can you can just open the books up and see. If you're a scholar and you like to like have a sentence be something you can chew on for a couple of days, then you'll love what the Buddha taught. Uh we it was our first book group book, long time ago when Borders was still I mean, back in maybe two thousand and six. And uh Bhante Sujata was leading it. That's how long ago it was, because he was he was around. And uh we met at Borders, and we would get through about a, par- a little paragraph each time and they have great discussion with it. But we, he was he was taking us through it, and we were demanding sort of word for word. We wanted to understand it completely. So it was wonderful. We never finished the book in the book group because he started getting real busy. Um, but it, it was wonderful because it, it was unpacking a lot of the stuff that we had maybe uh, a lot of us were—I I wasn't that new to Buddhism, but it was a different tradition, and uh, it was from the Mahayana to the Theravada tradition. So there was just—it was really rich, and it I mean, it still is. It's very rich, but it's—it's it's a good book to have because you really will go back to it and can use it almost like a reference book. And it's not a big, thick book. It's amazing how. Densely, all that information is packed. But it's those books are books that uh, you will be happy to have in your library, but you, you don't have to feel like you have to just uh, engulf them right away. You know, read them at the pace that you like to read books, but maybe keep those books with you, at least one of those books all the time so you can uh, keep getting just a... Uh, a better conceptual and experiential experience about what the teachings can can be for you, how they can work in your everyday life. And so we recommend them, especially when people are taking the precepts. But we don't give you a test or anything like that on them. We might. That might be a good idea to do that <laughs> So they're they're all over there. The only one that we don't have in the bookstore right now is the Mindfulness Survival Kit, and that's really hard to get. So and it's through a different uh, publisher than the other books. So we I think Tessa has that on order, and you can get all of the books in on Amazon and for your Kindle or uh, other other ways you like to read. So those are the books and. Uh, We've talked about the five precepts and the eight precepts, and then the ten precepts. Has anybody in here taken the ten precepts? Oh, they're fun. They're fun. <laughs> You're the, the, but we call, they're, we call them the bodhisattva vows, so it kind of makes you, you you want to swallow a couple of times. Because uh, when I was in, uh, in the Shambhala, and that's more of a Tibetan tradition, you, when they talk about bodhisattva vows, that they're just like dead serious about it, and that means you're going to hang around until every, every, every being attains nibbana. So you're not gonna you're not gonna just be a you know the head of the class and get there fast. And I can remember right after I took the the precepts and the ref took refuge with a Tibetan teacher. I mean that seemed a big enough thing to do. But then they, then there were people in, in our the class that we had. We, we took classes together and it was a nice, we were a little sangha to ourselves because we had all started about the same time. Very soon there were people and the, there were two people in that group who had said, "Well, next time I can, I'm going to take the Bodhisattva vows and I remember thinking, "Why in the world would you want to do that? <laughs> you want to wait for everybody and every being and they were serious and I to me, taking the Bodhisattva vows then was like it was it was worse than becoming a nun or a monk. It was like you're just I didn't realize that nuns and monks and people were, are take, were taking the bodhisattva vows all the time. So, um, because even in the My Wish, you know, we're talking about we, we're gonna protect all beings and we're gonna help all beings. That's that's essentially the bodhisattva vow. So, um, they're also called the Ten Paramitas and they're, they are actually qualities so someone's taken the five and they've taken the eight lifetime, which is just adding more about refining our speech, then when you get to the ten, if you choose to take those, there are ten qualities. So you're just working on um, like keeping those qualities in your mind as part of your training, part of what you're working with. And you're committing to them. So they're qualities that we talk about all the time in Buddhism. So, and they're, they're it's dana, which is generosity, that's number one. And uh, virtue, which are the precepts, that's number two. And the third one is uh, uh, renunciation which is uh, that renunciation, I always, I always love to think about that in a way so different from how we usually think about it. Renunciation is really letting go of the things that are not making you happy, that are not really serving you to give you the kind of happiness and peace that you want in your life. It's not like letting go of the things that we treasure we, we uh, most people think, well, you only renunciate if you're a nun or a monk and you shave your head and you wear the robes and you, you know, don't you don't do any of the fun stuff anymore. But really, renunciation is about letting things drop when we realize, you know, is this this isn't really the answer. This isn't really making me happy, and it might be harming me. So it can be. There may be people. Uh, there may be, uh, uh, maybe seeing that we work too much and we don't have enough time for ourselves, we can, renunciation can be letting go of that burden of maybe staying too busy or staying too in uh, uh, business that maybe we don't have to be caught up in, like personal, other people's problems and things, or having to be the person who knows all the news all the time. That'll make anybody crazy I think so let's let that go doesn't mean we quit being engaged and involved in the world and doing good things at all but renunciation is seeing what needs to drop away help us reach our uh, our, our goals what we have is our intentions so um, it's it's really it's really a wonderful thing. It's not a it's not like oh, if I want to do this, I've gotta start <clears throat> having a miserable life. You can still have lots of fun. It gets more fun because you're not uh feeling guilty about things or regretful about things or you know, uh not having things in your life that are making you happy. So that's uh Donna Sila Nicoma. Uh and then Weedia. The next one is energy. And so that's talking about just the, we literally need a lot, you know, you needed energy to to decide after a full day of doing things today, that you were gonna come to the temple tonight. Or that you were, you know, that you do things, that it's it's that uh, energy that you need to actually walk this path and to integrate it into your life so it just becomes, you know, who you are. That takes energy. It, it, we would all be uh, using less energy if we were curled up on a sofa, you know, watching uh, whatever, I don't, I don't I'm sure there's something to watch that would be, you know, take less energy than coming you here. Something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, something that would be so mind-numbing that we could all fall, you could fall asleep. And, uh, so there's always something that takes less energy. Even though meditation is relaxing once you get the hang of it, when we're really meditating, we're not falling asleep. You know, we are, we're, there's more energy going into that meditation than sitting in front of a TV or even talking to someone on the phone. So we need that, that energy is part of what keeps us going on this path because it isn't always the path of re, least resistance. We're like the fish swimming upstream a lot of the time, and it takes energy to keep doing that. And the last one of the first five is uh, uh, patient, Kanti Ka- Panya, Panya, wisdom. So the fifth one is wisdom. And the that's the wisdom that we are developing as we go along the path. It's the it's what we're studying and what we're learning, and it's also, as we are practicing more and kind of sitting with ideas and uh, you know, letting them kind of do their thing below our mental thinking, um, we're developing wisdom and insight within ourselves. But it's also the wisdom of, of what we're studying and what we're learning. So it's kind of the outside world and the inside world. So those are the first five. And the sixth one then is uh, truthfulness. No, patience is next. Patience, which is Conti, patience. And patience is a wonderful quality to look at because I didn't realize how important patience is when we're working with negative emotions like anger. So patience, the quality of patience, it's that uh, sometimes enduring something And it's for, to me, to think about it that way is patience is what can help us get through, uh, if we're angry. Say we're angry at someone because they're not changing as fast as we want them to change. Say we have a loved one and they, they have habits that we don't like, that we, that we think we know what's a better habit, which we do with, we do with our loved ones. You know, the closer people are, the more we, think we can get into their business, and it's our job to change them. And um, we're, so we lose our patience, and we, we, we take it on as like my time schedule is the, the schedule. I want this person to say quit smoking or to quit doing something else that I don't like, uh, but I want them to do it when I think they should do it. And because I love that person, I have a right to do that. And then the next stage is that we become angry with that person because they're not doing it the way we want them to do it or on our time schedule. And the next thing, you know, we're we're not we're not in a relationship with that person because of that. And there are so many ways that patience can help us I think move towards equanimity. Like let's ride this situation out. Let's let's We don't, we're, maybe we're afraid or frightened of a situation, and so we want to get through it really fast, get to the other side, but we're not dealing with it as we go along, so we're not developing equanimity, we're just, we're just being real determined and and, uh, not being kind of blind to what we're doing. So, uh, patience is what lets us endure, but for good reasons, you know, we're, we're, we're going through uh, some of the pain and suffering that, w- that life throws at us, and being patient with how long it takes us to get through it. And that's, that's developing, like the, uh, we, we begin to react less in anger, and we, we're looking more and more at that, at getting to what equanimity is for us, which is that balance. And that's that imperturbability. So if, we're, if we aren't patient, we're always going to be reacting to things very quickly. And usually our first reaction is what? Is it negative or positive? I mean, I guess it depends on if you're half full, a glass half full, or a glass half empty. But, you know, our first reaction is often, well, that won't work. Or, well, who wants to do that? Or, well, I can't wait that long. Um, so we're often, are often that our first reaction to something is like, you know, let's get it over with, or I'm not going to do that, or that's not going to work. So I think patience is a, is a wonderful one to work with. So patience and truthfulness, satya, and that's, that goes right back to the precepts. So it's it's that quality of truthfulness in who we are and what we do and how we treat others, and I think it's being truthful with ourselves about what we're doing and what we're, uh, you know how how we how we we're, we're, we don't want to have any um, veils over seeing things clearly, and I think truthfulness is really looking at things as honestly as we can. So the delusions going away. So, uh, kanti sacha uh, determination. But what's the aditana? So determination, and determination is that quality of, you know, i I've, I've I'm here. I am. I've taken the bodhisattva vows, and I'm determined. I'm gonna am I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep working with them not that i'm going to be perfect and not that i start out being perfect but determination is what keeps us going when it gets rough not stubbornly and blindly you know you've got we've got to be aware and awake and honest and the whole thing but it, determination is i it works along with energy but it's just when it gets when it feels rough and like it would be just so much easier to give it up that's when aditana a dittana? Um, that's when that comes into play because it will keep us going. Like, okay, I'm a, the Buddha has been a good teacher so far, and so he's saying this is a quality to develop. And so I'm going to try it. I'll give it, a, give it, you know, another push. Give it another. I'm going to try to understand this concept. I'm going to see if it makes sense. I'm going to see if I can apply it more you know, when I'm at home, or when I'm at work. And so it keeps us moving forward. Uh, Metta, the last two are, this one is easy, metta. So that's our loving kindness, that's always, always trying to uh, be able to radiate out that quality of goodwill, not just to ourselves, but, and friendliness, out to all beings. So it's harmlessness, it's, it's that, that quality that we're looking at in the precepts. Uh, not doing ourselves any harm, not harming anyone. And then the metta, that quality, we are, we are intentionally allowing it to radiate out. Um, and what's the very last one? Upeka, which is equanimity. So the very and the it's always the last of the list because it's when you're when we are like full power equanimity we are imperturbable so we are we are seeing things experiencing things we are right here but we but but we're not being pushed with with emotions or with uh, we're not being pushed by what other people want us to feel. You know, we are able to be with everything just the way it is. Uh Uh-huh? Oh, that's wonderful. Level-headedness in the face of difficulty. And that's that level-headed person is the one you want to go to when things are falling apart, right? If you suddenly, I don't know what kids always, like if they have something that some a storm or a tornado warning, they look to their teacher to, be, to have equanimity in that situation, right? So the teacher knows what's best, and they, then they can follow the teacher's guidance and trust. And, so that's good. That's a good definition. Level-headed in the face of difficult situations. And that level is that balance, too. If you think about a level... It, the, the level is we it's seeking we seek balance watching that little bubble, so think of your think of your head as the bubble, <laughs> just kind of okay get it get it right in the center. So those are the uh, bodhisattva vows, and you can see these are the qualities we talk about all the time. So it's not it's not a stretch. Because if if you think if you like the teachings of the Buddha and they it's like okay so far this has been a good thing in my life and it and I think it's giving me what I need then those ten bodhisattva vows are that's what we're always talking about and I think of everybody who takes them there aren't like all that many people who've taken them but a pretty good sized group. Um, they all work with those, those vows in different ways, but it's a quality, and you're not saying, uh, I undertake the training in equanimity. You know, it's just equanimity. Um, we undertake just uh, continually working on developing those qualities. So if, you're, if you've taken those vows, it might, uh, you might use those qualities of things you want to look for in what you're reading. Or you might want to journal about them, or, or or use them in your meditation. Just take that quality and just sit with it and see what comes up for you about it, and and where you are with it, and think maybe this is something I could uh, deepen. And there's so much written about them, so those are the ten. So it you you can see they're still all the same thing in a way that. Whether it's the five or the eight or the you know, what whatever you call them, it's still working on developing our qualities as human beings to get to develop them in the in the best way possible. I think to use more of our brain and to use more of our heart. And and kind of putting those two together, which is sometimes that's not the way the world the world is like you choose one or the other, and I think I think the the Buddhist teachings is showing how how you don't have to let go of one for the other so uh, that's those are the precepts so whether you take them during a ceremony or you're just studying with them, it's a valuable way it's a valuable way to kind of organize even you know Buddhism can be there's too much to read. I don't know I don't know what to read and do I not read? And how do I meditate and what should I start with? It's very confusing, you know, to know exactly because there's so much stuff out there now. But it's um, just starting with the basic precepts, and if you think about the precepts and the qualities we're talking about, and then those specific qualities with the ten, it gives you a wonderful way to start studying the teachings of the Buddha. And you can break it down because you'd start with the Four Noble Truths. Because the Noble Truths say, um, okay, there's, suffer- there's stress, there's dissatisfaction, there's a cause for it, which we know is the cause is that craving and hanging on to things. Don't, don't leave me, don't go away. We want things to be what they can't be. So we, if something's good, we want to keep it. We can't let it go. And then if it's bad, we want to push it away. So that's the cause of our dissatisfaction and our suffering. and our, um, it, That's what keeps us from being really happy because every minute there's something that we, do, we, we like it, but we want more of it, so we're unhappy. Or we have got more of it, and we had too much of it, and so now we don't want it. So that's the cause of that suffering. And then the thir- third thing the Buddha said was there, there is a path out of that suffering. Like, we don't have to be stuck with that in this human life. That's, he didn't talk about, let's just talk about, let's have 35 years of talking about suffering. He wanted to talk about how do we move away from that suffering and so the, the, the package he put together when he tried to figure out how do I talk about what I learned when I became enlightened, then out of the Four Noble Truths, he developed the Eightfold Path. And that Eightfold Path then tells us you follow this path and you just keep, one time you might be working on this part of it and another time another part of it, but if you keep remembering that Eightfold Path and stay on it, then you're, then you're getting yourself out of that uh, samsara, that wheel of just repeating mistake after mistake after mistake. And the Eightfold Path is about right intention and right, um, right, right, uh, right wisdom and then right action and right livelihood and right speech. So we're covering all the things in the precepts, right? And then right, mind, right effort and right mindfulness and right concentration. So then we move up, then we can start talking about what are the, the precepts and start talking about what those are and how they tie into the basic teachings of the Buddha, which is the Four Noble four noble Truths. And, the five precepts are talking about that we're not going to harm any living being, so no killing, and no... I don't even want to say the five because I keep getting them out of order. Um, not, no killing, what's number two? No stealing. And the third one is uh, sec- not, in, not engaging in sexual misconduct. And the fourth one is uh, not telling lies. And the fifth one is avoid drugs and intoxicants that cause that mindlessness. And we, we, it's, we don't want to expand the precepts too widely, so uh, it's taking on too much. But I think it's safe with the fifth one to think of what your personal intoxicant is. If you don't drink at all, you probably have a personal thing that, that, that you turn to when you want to be mindless heedless when you want to turn off so don't think you're safe just because you don't drink or do recreational drugs you know you might you might there are all kinds of other things that seem perfectly acceptable to society like shopping too much eating too much tv uh, and also the things that are not TV, like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. You know, all of those are things that are just created to make us indul- overindulge in them. You know, our company tells us, shop, go shopping, because it's good for the economy. We're, I mean, we're encouraged at all levels, right? So, so we all have our little things that we know we need to work on. To, uh, but we have to be gentle with ourselves, too. So the precepts just tie in beautifully, and then you get to the ten bodhisattva, and there are these ten qualities that kind of cover everything in those ten qualities. So we just we just keep we just keep growing, and we keep expanding our wisdom about how to work with those qualities. So there you've got a there you've got. You can find as many teachings as you have lifetimes to study them. Um, just on just on those things, everything else might be uh, almost extra. because those are the things that we're, those are the things that cause us to get into this, you know, get into studying the Buddhist teachings. We might come into it for some other reason. But then if, if, the teach, if we start hearing things that make sense to us, that's exactly what it is. It's those very basic things. So, there. Now, <laughs> we also have on the golden table the sign-up sheet. But I'm calling it now the pre-precept sign-up sheet. So you, you're not making a commitment to take the precepts. <laughs> You're making a commitment that you, that you would like to see and get an application and you would like more information. So I'm gonna try in June, I'd like to set up a couple of classes just for the pre-precept so that, so people can ask questions and can maybe uh, they, they might wanna talk about things that we haven't covered in the group or some of their own concerns. So if you sign up, you're not signing away the rest of your life to work on <laughs> I don't think you can undo taking the precepts, but <laughs> but you can. You certainly don't have to do do you know stay with them. But uh, a really good question someone had uh, last week was, did they have to give up the, their religion to take the precepts? And I don't know what your religion is, but the, in Buddhism we would we never ask that of anybody, no matter. What which of the precepts you take, or which you can take all the classes, you can do everything. There's never, uh, we will never say to you, well, but you have to officially be a Buddhist before you can, you know, go to the potluck or something. <laughs> so you never. And taking the precepts isn't saying I am now a Buddhist, but it is saying I want to. I want to work more with the tools the Buddha offered me. Because I like his teachings and I think I think I can get a lot out of them, but it doesn't mean giving up the religion that you were raised in or that's comfortable for you or that your family is. It's it's not asking you to give anything up. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a Buddhist? Am I a Buddhist? Well, I think if you you can call yourself, it's you know. I don't think the Buddha, would, the Buddha was not teaching a religion. He was teaching like a living philosophy. And he was teaching about, which was probably absolutely true for Christ too and other great teachers. You know, they're teaching their time, in their time and their world what they think is a, is a, a way to, to live a, a life combining, you know, reality and also the spiritual side of us. Um, So, I don't think there's any point where you're supposed to say you're a Buddhist. Or it could be the first time you come in and um, you hear it and it sounds good and you think, oh, I think I might, maybe I'm even already that. When I was in the congregational church, which is kind of like a Unitarian church, it's really liberal, when my kids were little, I'd gone back to Christianity when I had children but the minister used to always tease me. He'd say, you're really a Buddhist. You know that, don't you? And I wasn't, I mean, I, I, was, I had never been interested in Buddhism, but that was kind of a running joke with us. And sure enough, that's what I was. <laughs> and I realized it the first time I, I heard uh, the Tibetan teacher that I then took refuge with, um, I listened to him and didn't understand much of what he said, but took a retreat he was giving. And so, and by by three days later, I thought, "Oh, this is this is what I've been looking for." So, so it was. I felt okay thinking I probably I probably was like Steve said. I probably am a Buddhist, but uh, you don't ever have to do that. If you want to, you can call yourself a Buddhist. <laughs> when you take the precepts you do get a certificate certificate with a buddhist name but it doesn't even say you're a buddhist <laughs> it it just says here's your buddhist name and here's what it means and then it says you've taken i've taken the five precepts or the eight so yeah um, what does it mean to take the precepts like what do you accomplish like what is the i don't know the end point I think Yeah, the the end point, well the end point is enlightenment. <laughs> I think the, the immediate the reason we take the precepts is to make a to is to make a little bit more of a commitment to actually working with the the teachings that the Buddha you know so freely gave. Taking the precepts is like a kind of uh, it's like I, I see it as a way to kind of tell myself I'm taking I'm serious about taking this journey because these are qualities that why would I not want to work on those qualities? It's more you know, like a commitment, a, your own a personal study. commitment. So, okay. Yeah, and it's and when we take precepts, it's not even about st- our studies. It's about it's about how we li- how we live. So the precepts are really about what we're you know, walking or talk because the precepts are all about I undertake the training in this, in the harmlessness. I undertake the training to, to not uh, lie. So it's, about the, it's really about the very specific things that we're, we're looking at in our own lives. We're not ever saying I'm, I'm going to be perfect and never do this again. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna be more intentional with my uh, with my behavior and with my with my speech, and so it's more about intention. There's nothing in it about I'm gonna study a whole lot. <laughs> Would there be a correlation between the, the, uh, the attitudes of the Christian faith and? Um, I don't know there, the Beatitudes almost remind me of the Metta Sutta it's, it's, of oh, 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 one of those groups? one of those what? groups of uh, the four, five, or six or seven you know, blessed are the peacemakers or they shall. yeah that's, that's to say to the Christian more or less what should be your attitude? Or they could they could be of kind of like the bodhisattva vows. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure of heart. But blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. It's, all love. it's what? It's all love. Yeah. It's love it. So that could be that that could be uh, it's it's. There, there's not any uh, someone necessarily identifying with those, except he's saying there's value in this there's val-. he's saying this is where that's where he sees value in, in, that big, in the bigger picture right, to be a peacemaker to be meek, to be humble, to be, yeah, those qualities yeah that, that, I'm sure somebody's written about that have to google that Thich Nhat Hanh might have written about it, so that maybe I'll see what I've got on. Thich, but what Thich Nhat Hanh says, there are a lot of parallels, you know, in all in all in all the world's essential religions. We just see it's all it's all more the same than it is different. So, yeah, it's kind of fun to look at that too. Okay, it is getting hot, so let's thank you very much. (laughs)